Good morning, Salt Church. Go ahead and grab a seat. We are excited that you are here to worship with us. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. And as Jenny mentioned, kind of the main event for this morning is what will take place right after this message as we hear from the people that are going to share their stories about the work that God's doing in their life. And then they'll display that for us through the act of baptism. So we're excited to celebrate with them. Really glad that you are here. Before we get to, um, again, kind of that main event, we're going to open the Bible together. We're going through the book of Matthew, and today we have another parable of Jesus. We're in the part of the gospel of Matthew where Jesus begins telling some stories. He uses these things called parables to kind of prove a point or make a big kind of moral statement or a big idea that he wants his followers to hear and today, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is going to help his disciples, and I hope help us, actually like take a deep breath and relax a little. Do you ever have moments where you need to kind of slow down and take a deep breath, right? Take a deep breath and relax, right? Life brings moments like those. Life is difficult. Elections can be stressful. The future can feel uncertain. The future can feel fearful, right? Parenting kids, it can be a joy, but it also brings a lot of heartache and a lot of stress. Many adults who are out of college, we look back at those college days with happy memories, feeling like it was the best time of our lives. But for those of you that are in it right now, you know there's also stresses that come with it worries that come with it, trying to get good grades, trying to manage all these new relationships, trying to make major life decisions in a compressed amount of time. It can be stressful, can't it? Life can be stressful. It can be stressful just for like a normal person, but then throw in trying to follow Jesus in the middle of this life as well. It adds even more. How do I pursue holiness? How do I make good decisions when everything around me seems to point me in the other direction? There's so much evil in this world. How do I manage that? What do I do with it? Do I just withdraw and try to get rid of it as much as I can just so that I can survive? Like, what should I do? How do I manage this? And I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself wondering to God, like, do you see this world around us? Like, is this how you designed it? Is this how you wanted it to be? It's chaotic. It looks like a mess. It's like, God, sometimes I wonder, are you even paying attention to what's happening around us? And I wonder, as we get to our text today, I wonder if this is how the disciples were beginning to feel. I wonder if there was beginning to be some anxiety and maybe even panic among these first believers because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah to come. But when they looked around at this new kingdom, it didn't look like they thought it would. It didn't feel like they thought it would feel. And so they began to wonder, how do I, how do I deal with this? What do I do? Is this all just crashing? Is it all just falling apart? And I wonder if the disciples maybe feel a little bit like we might feel now, like what we might feel today. And Jesus is going to tell them a story. And I think Jesus is going to help them take a deep breath. He's going to help them relax a little. And I think Jesus wants that for us this morning as well. And so open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. 
But as you're opening it, here's the big idea. I want you to know this right away so that we can see this play out in the text today. The big kind of main note I want you to walk away with from our text is this. The king is in control of his kingdom. The king is in control of his kingdom. And that allows us to take a deep breath and to relax in the midst of a chaotic world. But let's see that from the text today. So Matthew chapter 13, we've got a couple sections that we're going to read. We're going to start in verse 24. Here we go. Verse 24. He, this is Jesus, presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? And he replies, an enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and pull them up? The servants asked him. You can almost feel an urgency in their voice. Verse 29, no, he said. When you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. Okay, there's a lot going on in this parable, but all throughout, again, be reminded, the king is in control. The owner of the field is in control. The beautiful thing about this parable is Jesus tells the parable to the crowd and then the disciples pull him aside and they're like, I don't know what you mean by this parable, tell us. And then he, then he just tells them. Like he goes through pretty methodically, word by word, character by character, event by event and says, this is what I'm talking about. This is what that means. And so it, it actually makes it pretty easy for us to just read his description and his explanation and know here's what he meant. And so we're gonna do that. Flip ahead a few verses to verse 36. Here's what Jesus says. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Total side note, wouldn't it be nice in this world to have Jesus along with us? And we could just pull him aside and like, could you explain that real quick? And then he would just do it. Uh, someday in heaven, that'll be true. Verse 37, here's his reply. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed. These are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. All right, stop right there. He introduces all of the characters in the parable. And so we're gonna go through and just talk about each character, all right? We're gonna start with the good seed, the wheat. All right, the wheat planted in the owner's field. Jesus tells us is who? The children of the kingdom. They're Christians, believers, put in this world to grow and mature and produce a crop. And here's the, the thing that is helpful for us, I think. At the end of time, how do we know what was wheat and what was weeds? The wheat produced wheat, right? Like it's, it's actually fairly simple. You know the wheat because it produces wheat. And you know the weeds because they produce weeds. There are Christians planted in this world around us. How will we know if they are Christians? 
They will produce fruit, the kind of fruit that Christians produce. There will be life and there will be growth. There will be sharing of the gospel. There will be characteristics in their life like peace and patience and joy and hope and grace. Like those sorts of things overflow from the Christian. You can tell there are evidences that they are good seed because of the kind of fruit that they bear. Right now, again, this is a parable. So Jesus didn't mean for every little bit of this story to directly be applied. So we have to be careful in doing this, but look at what else we learn. Look at what else we see about the wheat. The wheat lived among the weeds, right? And the weeds didn't appear to actually be that big of a threat, right? The application of this parable is not look around your life, find all the evil ones and just get rid of them, right? Just like cocoon with other Christians so that you're only in a wheat field. That's not what Jesus is telling us to do. The wheat is going to grow and the wheat is going to thrive. Why? Because the owner planted good seed. The owner planted the wheat and so the wheat will grow. But there were other seeds planted, right? We see in this parable, these other bad seeds that Jesus calls the weeds. So let's look at those for a moment. Jesus says the weeds are the children of the evil one, the devil. Right now, we'll get to the devil in a minute, but these weeds were intentionally planted for stumbling, for destruction. They were put there for harm. Their purpose is destruction and lawlessness. In telling this parable, the word, it's, it's really interesting as you study into this, the word that Jesus used to describe these weeds is a particular weed And ironically, in its early stages, this weed looks exactly like wheat. There are evil ones in this world. But no matter what they do or what they say or how much they might look like Christians, the devil has planted evil ones. There are people here for destruction. And they're not followers of Jesus. In fact, he uses this much stronger language to call them the children of the devil. Now, again, application of the parable is not to walk around your dorm floor or your neighborhood and everybody who does not profess a a faith in Jesus to call them the children of the devil. We're not saying that you should do that today. But here's why Jesus used this language. He wants to make it crystal clear. You are either for him or you are against him. You are either on his side or you are in opposition to him. There is no neutral There is no fence to sit on here. You have either placed your faith in Jesus. You have asked him to forgive you for your sins. You are now bearing fruit as a Christian or you are not. And if you are not, this parable paints a pretty bleak picture. It doesn't go well for the weeds. Nobody wants to be a weed. Let me hit pause on this story for just a second because this kind of analogy of the wheat and the weeds is actually fairly personal to me. I grew up in a Christian family. I grew up going to church on Sunday mornings. I went to Sunday school. If any of you remember what that is or know what that is, I went to Sunday night church back when they had Sunday night church. Like everything that the Christians around me did, I did the same things. Everything that the Christians around me said, I did the same things. Yet, If you were to look at my life and to say, where's the fruit? You wouldn't have found much. There wasn't life. 
There wasn't growth. There wasn't health. There wasn't a desire to pursue a relationship with Jesus that would result in a pursuit of purity and honesty and integrity. The giving and receiving of forgiveness and grace, right? I looked a lot like the wheat, but I wasn't. I wasn't. And only by the grace of God, only by the work of the Spirit to open my eyes with faith did I finally see that reality and turn and run to God instead of away from him. The wheat was planted by Jesus and the weeds were planted by the devil. Now the devil, it's a big name. It's a big character. Let's talk about him. Uh, I'm not going to give like a full biblical like exposition on the character of the devil today. That's not the point of this parable, but there's a few things we got to know. The devil is the adversary of God and the devil has an influence on this world. The devil has power in this world. He is able to plant seed all over the world. He is able to put people here that are here to cause stumbling and lawlessness and destruction. The devil is deceptive. He doesn't plant seeds that are obviously bad seed. He plants seed that are weeds that look a lot like wheat to confuse, again, for the purpose of destruction, distortion of truth. He is real. He is real and he has power, but only so much. He has influence over this world to a limited degree because he's not the owner of the field, is he? He's an intruder. He is a trespasser. Who is the owner of the field? Jesus is. In this parable, Jesus says, the son of man is the owner of the field. He is saying, this field, this world is mine. Right? And all throughout this book of Matthew, as we've been teaching it, Matthew has been establishing that Jesus is the Messiah to come. For all of these Jewish people that had been looking forward to the coming Messiah, Matthew is proving the case. The Messiah is here. The king is here. This is his kingdom. And he is the king. We were told that at the beginning of the parable. It read like this. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. The parable is about the kingdom. And who is the kingdom about? The king. And so here's what we learned about the king. He sowed good seed. He didn't make mistakes. He didn't put some seed down that turned out to be weeds. No, he put good seed down that became good wheat. When the servants came rushing to the owner of the field in a panic, he wasn't surprised by what was going on. He knew where the weeds came from. He knew who was responsible for it. And he also knew how to deal with them. The bad seed didn't surprise him or appear to overwhelm him with worry or concern. Why? Because he is the king and the king is in control of his kingdom. Even though the enemy thought he was gaining ground and the servants were scrambling to understand what was happening and then trying to fix it, the king had it all under control. And so he tells him to take a deep breath. It's gonna be okay. I've got it under control. It'll be taken care of. Jump back out of the story with me for just a moment. Because you might be looking around your world and feel a whole lot like the servants in this parable. Trying to manage your life and do all the right things. And you look around and you see distractions and you see evil and you see bad influences and you see things trying to drag you away and pull you down. 
parents, you look at all that your kids are facing, all that this world is bringing to them. You want to just like lock them in the room, get rid of TV, get rid of internet, just like bar the world out. Life can feel chaotic. Life can feel out of control. And here's the, things we, here's the thing we do need to recognize and the things we need to kind of grapple with. Life may feel like it is out of control because it is at least out of our control. It is out of our control. We can't manage it the way we want to manage it. We can't force it to be the way we think it should be. This life around us is out of our control because this world and this life around us isn't ours, right? It is not our kingdom. It's Jesus's. He is in control. But even as I say that, I personally can feel a little wrestling with that, a little tension with that. And I imagine that you can too. Because you might wonder, if Jesus is the king, and this is his kingdom, and he is in control, then why so much brokenness? Why so much chaos? Why does there remain so much evil in this world? Why did that happen to me? Why did I have to go through that trial? Why does that word cancer keep showing up in our family? Why can't we have kids? Why can't I meet somebody who will love me for, for me and not just keep taking advantage of me? Jesus is in control. We say that, we believe that, and yet we look around at this world and sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes that's not our experience. And, and listen, church, that is a real question to ask. That is an honest question to ask. And that is a challenging one to answer. I just want to share something that's helped me. This is something that's helped me, and it's an understanding that we live in attention of the already and the not yet. The already and the not yet. We see the kingdom around us already. We experience that, right? The power of the Holy Spirit to defeat sin in our life. That is an evidence that the kingdom is here now. Miracles, healings, the receiving and the giving of grace. Those prove that in some capacity, the kingdom has come. The kingdom is here. And yet, we also recognize that there are things that exist in, the, in this world that will not exist in eternity. There is still sin here. There is still brokenness here. There is deceit and our bodies, they still break down and they die. Those are all things that reveal the kingdom is also not yet, not in its fullness, not in its glory. But that doesn't mean there isn't a king. We live in the midst of this tension of the already and the not yet, but don't let that remove your hope and your trust and belief. There is a king and his name is Jesus. The disciples of Matthew 13, they were experiencing kind of this tension of the already and the not yet. And I believe they found themselves in a little bit of a moment of anxiety and panic, thinking the world would look different with Jesus as the king expecting that it would be different than what they were experiencing. And I think you and I can relate to that. 
And so they were looking around, like the servants in the story, wondering, how did this happen? How did we get here? How do we fix it? And so Jesus gives them a story, gives them a parable, and he says, guys, listen, I'm in control. I am the king, and this is my kingdom. And then he gives them a little glimpse of the future, a little bit of what they can look forward to. Read this last part of our passage with me. Second half of 39 to the end. The harvest, Jesus is continuing to explain the parable. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Let anyone who has ears listen. I don't need to add much commentary to, for you to feel the weight of the words of Jesus towards the weeds. If you are a weed and you remain a weed, your destination is certain and it is awful. It is awful. There will be weeping. There will be weeping. And I hope that this passage doesn't just serve to kind of like share, to kind of scare the non-believers in the room. I hope for the Christians out here that this would give us a, an urgency, that this would break our hearts to know that people we love and care about are not following Jesus and their destiny and their eternity it isn't good. And that's putting it mildly. There will be weeping. There will be burning. And I hope, Christians, that this breaks our hearts, fuels our mission to bring the good news to them. As for the wheat, believers in this world who are maybe struggling along, grasping and fighting and clawing for purity and for holiness, resisting the weeds around them and, and wondering if they'll make it, wondering if they'll get to that time of the not yet. Look at the language that he uses in verse 43. The righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. No more struggle, no more heartache, no more hurt, no more brokenness, just sitting at the feet of Jesus in awe of him and worshiping him in his full glory. Jesus, our king. Because the king is in control of his kingdom, Christian, you can rest today. We can experience joy in the midst of chaos and hope right when we feel hopeless. It's not our mission to go around the world and try to figure out, are you wheat? Are you weeds? That's not our job. That is the king's job, and he will do that. In the right time, he will do that. But for now, rest, grow, flourish, have life, become the person that God has planted become the one that, that God has planted for a purpose and a mission. Take a deep breath this morning. 
relax. God is in control. After all, this is his kingdom, not ours. I want to end our time today by reading a passage from the book of Revelation. It's from chapter 21, and it's a picture that we are given of the not yet. This picture that we are given shows us the kingdom in its fullness, in its glory. It's the kingdom that we long for. It's the kingdom that we look forward to. And I hope that this brings us rest and brings us hope today. And so I would actually, this might be weird. It's okay. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Just close your eyes for me. As I read this text, just close your eyes, and then we will beg for God to make this true. From Revelation chapter 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne. And Salt Church, listen, this is what will be said from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Oh God, we long for the days when there will be no more tears and no more weeping and no more sin and no more brokenness. When there will be no more animosity between family members and division in the church. When our bodies will no longer give in to cancer and death and our minds will no longer wander to places of lust and greed. Father, we long to see the day when your kingdom is fully present fully experienced, and fully ours. But God, that is the not yet. That day is not here yet. And so until that day, will you give your people a hope and a trust and a confidence that allows us to walk into each day with boldness and purpose and hope to praise your name and make you known among those who don't know you. Father, we are surrounded by those we love whose eternal destination includes things like burning fire and weeping. Oh God, break our hearts. Stir in us a passion to reach them with your beautiful good news of grace and hope. Help us, Father, to take a deep breath, to know that you're in control. We aren't, but it's not our kingdom. It's yours. Help us to trust and believe in that today. We pray in your son's name. Amen.